0: So we've heard that there are many um, good things for us to be doing for our spiritual life. When it comes to spiritual warfare, the most important thing is that we stay close to Jesus in the sacraments and in prayer. We're not going to reinvent the wheel here. Thanks be to God. We don't need to be creative in order to be on the winning side. We need to do as Jesus first asked us when he proclaimed his public ministry for the first time. Repent and believe in the gospel. By going to confession every month, no longer than every two months, we stay within the realm of his mercy and his protection. It is the most powerful exorcism in the world. So people might come up to me occasionally and say, Father, I think I need an exorcism. I think this person in my life needs an exorcism. And then I ask them, have you gone to confession? No. It's like, okay, well, there's your exorcism. Go to confession. And as Deacon said, 90% of your problems that are diabolical related will be already eliminated. So everything else is kind of the nuance from there. Jesus receiving him in the Eucharist is... Is itself an exorcism too, because it is Jesus Himself coming into us. And anything that does not belong to Jesus is naturally pushed out if we're well disposed to receive Him. The more desire we have to receive Him, the more we believe that it is actually Him, the more we believe in what we are receiving, the more it pushes out everything that doesn't belong to Him into our body. And then, um, as the other side of the sheet with the the copy says, um, having regular daily prayer. And as I say to my parishioners all the time, and I will say it until every single parishioner is doing it, until we have 15 to 30 minutes of silent prayer with Jesus outside of the rosary, outside of mass, silent prayer with Jesus, especially in Scripture, Um, Until we have that firmly in place, we're just leaving a gaping hole for the enemy to come in and to fill our thoughts with other things. That's what's happening in this time of silence, is that Jesus is planting the truth, his words, that combat the lies of the enemy. Jesus, in John chapter 8, his title for Satan is the father of lies not by accident. He infiltrates our lives through lies. He uses the hurt that we've received from other people, the hurt we've done to to ourselves and the difficult circumstances of our lives to implant lies that then dictate our thought patterns, that then dictate our actions, that then perpetuate further hurt to other people, right? This is his whole tactic. If I get good lies planted, embedded deep then I basically have the person. One of the um, one of those questions that you get when you when you talk about the reality of heaven and hell, um, people ask, "Well, why would God ever send anyone to hell?" And then you know the well-formed answer usually that I've been following up until recently was, "Well, God doesn't throw anyone into hell; we choose it ourselves." And that's absolutely true. We choose it by rejecting Jesus in this life, and that continues into the next life. But what I had been leaving out of that answer, and I was corrected by a layman who was so right, it's not that we just freely choose not God. It's we've been deceived by an incredibly intelligent opponent who is trying to reinforce lies for us to choose the wrong thing. It's not like, We have God over here and happiness and damnation and sadness over here. And we're like, gosh, I don't know which one I'm going to choose. It is, no, the enemy plants ideas that make you think that this is actually good for you over here. And God is somehow an enemy to be avoided over here. So it's not just a free choice that we're making. We have real opposition and there's a real possibility we can be deceived to the point of rejecting God by our choice. Because we've been deceived in this way, does that make sense? It's like, oh gosh, that's that's a wake up call, right? Because it's not, it's it's not God throwing people into hell, but it's also not us making a completely free decision because we're in real warfare. And by accumulation of many free choices that we make to sin, to distance ourselves from God, to put ourselves in the near occasion of sin, we are leaving the door open for more lies and more deception. And going further into a dark hole that doesn't allow us to freely choose to receive God's mercy, which again, going back to confession is what we do, right? Wow, I am in the pit. What do I do? I go back to the Lord's mercy like the prodigal son, and he receives me with open arms. But we have to go back to him, right? The invitation is there. The grace is there to come back. But we have to say yes. I can't tell you how many parents I have come to me. Will you talk to my son or daughter? Will you do this? And then I ask, do they want to talk to me? No, this will not be a fruitful exchange. Okay. I'm sorry. It just will not be. They have to want help or else it will not be fruitful. I can talk and tell I'm blue in the face, but Jesus respects their freedom. And so do we, we have to respect their freedom. So, um, I'll just kind of go over this list. Honestly, I made it off the top of my head. It's not like I spent a lot of time, but it's basically a list of the topics that I frequently preach about because I'm convinced that if you do these things, you will abide in Jesus' love for you, which will naturally repel any opportunities for the evil one to come in and take advantage of us. Number one, basic self-care especially when it comes to getting enough sleep. If we're really struggling with impatience and being edgy with people, are we getting enough sleep, right? I'm struggling, falling asleep and being really distracted in prayer. Are you getting enough sleep, okay? Let's not over-spiritualize all of our problems, right? We actually do need to take care of this body. We're not just pure souls. We have to take care of our body. If we neglect our body, the evil one can seize upon our physiological weakness and turn it into a spiritual problem, all right? Does that make sense? Let's just take care of ourselves. We know we, should, we know we should exercise and eat well, but we still choose not to. A little decision that leaves a door open, right? Daily gratitude. There is basically no sin or temptation that I can think of that is not counteracted by living intentional gratitude. In my breast pocket, I carry with me at all times, except at this moment, it's in the back, my gratitude journal. So every single day I spend the first 10, 15 minutes, maybe more, depending on if it was a really beautiful and fruitful day the day before, reflecting on God, how God has loved me in the last day. Not just general, I'm thankful for my life, I'm thankful for my priesthood, all these things are true. But I'm thankful for this conversation I had with this person yesterday. I'm grateful for how God loved me when this person reached out and they didn't know, but it came at just the right time. I'm thankful that this talk went better and then it seemed to bear fruit in this person's life. These kinds of moments, I relive those because in the moment I'm not usually recollected enough to receive it and to notice it. But in the time of silence that I have 15 to 30 minutes every single day, I have time to receive God's love for me through what he's already done in my life. So many people say, well, I don't hear God speaking to me in silence. It's like, okay, well, can you think back again and think about ways that he has loved you in the past? That's God speaking to you even now. One of the Israelites' biggest sins or omissions was forgetting what God has done. Moses says over and over again in especially Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, remember how he delivered you from Egypt. Remember how he brought you through the Red Sea. Remember how he fed you with the manna. Remember how he fed you with meat through the quail. Remember how he provided water for you when you were thirsty. And then they began to complain again. Is this not our story? Remember how he's done all these things, but I'm hungry right now. It's like, well, he wants to provide for you, but we have to abide first in this place of gratitude and recognition and confidence. He is going to provide for me, okay? Daily surrender. And I want to dovetail this into the question that many of you have, especially as you have grown children, many of which have fallen away. This is not an isolated problem. This is a universal problem. What do I do? about my son or daughter, grandchildren that have fallen away from the faith, right? This is the million dollar question. And if, again, if you've heard me preach more than a few times, you've probably heard me say these things, but I'll say them again. Number one, you have to draw closer to Jesus yourself. The first and best thing we can do for our loved ones is to draw closer to Jesus ourselves, Because we believe these bonds of love that are between us, there is no such thing as an individual salvation. One person drawing close to Jesus draws everyone around them, whether they recognize it or not, closer to Jesus too. In a special way, if there's something that they're struggling with, alcohol, overindulgence in social media, phone, shows, food, whatever it is, we can take upon ourselves this kind of empathic repentance, empathic repentance. So I see in them something that needs to be uh, repented of. So I repent of that thing within myself. How fruitful it would be if, okay, my son or daughter is really struggling with alcohol. I take a very firm fast against alcohol in my own life, not because I have a problem with it necessarily, but because I want to do this out of love on their behalf. Imagine how much fruit we would see if we took upon ourselves that attitude as, as opposed to saying, why do they do this and they never do that. It's like, well, are you doing those things faithfully? Are you avoiding those things faithfully? Let's go ahead and not assume the totality of their burden because that's first and foremost for Jesus, which is the second step. So the first is to repent and to draw closer to Jesus ourselves. And number two is to recognize that Jesus loves them. Mary loves them even more than we do. And they actually have the power to do something about it. And we do not. right? So to surrender them. So that's where this this third point of surrender is coming in. We think we're responsible single-handedly for their salvation. That's Jesus' job. Jesus is their savior. So by surrendering them... And I'm talking very literally every single day saying out loud, Jesus, I surrender my son to you. Jesus, I surrender my daughter to you. You take care of them. We naturally want to control. And all of that list of the things that Deacon gave you that are gateways to diabolical stuff coming in. Many of them are using other ways of power, natural power, to seize control, which is why they're diabolical. They're not allowing God to be God and to him, for him to be in control. It's us trying to seize control by using these other, other means. That's why they're so bad. So we counter that by living more radically surrender. Whatever you're anxious about, whatever thing, whatever you have going on later today, say out loud because as sebastian reminded us that the devil and his satan and his companion spirits cannot read our thoughts but they can intuit our thoughts and as i like to say he can't read our mind but he can definitely read our lips all right <laughs> and so in jesus' name i surrender x y and z and he's like son of god what am i going to do now they actually realize that they they can't have control over this. How am I going to manipulate them, right? It just throws it back in his face. Living that surrender intentionally. So the best thing we can do for our loved ones who have fallen away, draw close to Jesus ourselves, surrender them concretely. Every single time the pain comes up, the sadness, the anger come up. That's when we surrender them again. And then the third step. My favorite, love their socks off, okay? (laughs) Love their socks off. You don't need to share about how they should be going to church. They know you want them to go to church, right? They already know that. They already know that you don't like that they're living together and that they're not married, that the kids aren't baptized. All of the things. They know where you stand on these things. I assure you, after you've done the two most important things, then you just simply be their mom be their dad, be their grandma, be their grandpa, and love them well, right? Meet them where they're at. Talk about the things that they want to talk about, presuming that it's not sinful, right? We just be there, continue to show up, and leave the door open as the prodigal son's father left the door open and was always on the lookout for any hint of them coming back, right? And if you've done the first two things, and then you're loving them well, we'll just, again, Leave that to the Lord and to our mother because they have power and they are in control. Close parentheses. That's a really important one, right? Uh, This fourth one is a relatively new thing for me that I'm growing in appreciation, but we live in the COVID era, right? And so we're aware of social distancing and wearing masks and all the things. There's something actually very similar in the spiritual realm. If we are with people that are badly, spiritually, emotionally afflicted and we are not careful about keeping healthy, emotional and spiritual boundaries, we can actually put some of that stuff on ourselves. And we don't even realize it. and We start walking around and we start infecting other people too, right? So we know this very well from this time of pandemic, how real cross transmission can be. And it is very real um, in the spiritual realm as well. So if you know you're going to go into a a heavy situation, um, again, it almost goes without saying, but I need to say it again. You will have gone to confession, right, in the last month, right? You will have done your 15 to 30 minutes of allowing God to love you in prayer and giving praise and thanks to him for all of your blessings, And you will have already surrendered the situation and the person to him. And then you can also pray in addition a simple Hail Mary or just asking Jesus to protect you in his precious blood. There are other prayers you can take from this deliverance, prayers for use by the laity. Um, You can take a picture of this at another time. But it has all kinds of helpful, protective prayers. Um, But the key is that you just ask Jesus in advance, help protect me, right? And then you have the interaction. You, to the best of your ability, don't assume burdens and responsibilities that are not yours. You're not responsible for curing them. You're not responsible for saving their soul. That's Jesus's job, right? So you love them. You surrender. And then after the meeting, you Ask Jesus to cleanse you of anything that you might have picked up. And I'm going to give you in a little bit here, this little purple sheet of paper, which is a personal deliverance prayer. One of many different kinds, but especially if you're starting to feel anger, impatience, temptations to lust, greed, gluttony, whatever it is. And you're like, I don't usually even struggle with those things. That could be an indication that you might have picked something up. And so to say out loud a prayer like this can be really helpful. You're invoking the precious blood. You're invoking Our Lady, St. Michael the Archangel, to cleanse you of anything that you might have picked up. So all this is to say, be aware that spiritual transmission is definitely a thing. All right, And we should be intentional about before we walk into that situation and during the situation and after the situation, asking for that cleansing. All right, is that all making sense so far? Yes. Great. This is a hard one. I'm. I'm not gonna lie. Practice prudent obedience. Ooh. We do not like obedience because we, as Americans, love our freedom. Right. That. Freedom in the very superficial sense of the world means to do whatever I want whenever I want however I want, right? That is not Christian freedom. Christian freedom is to be able to do the right thing quickly, easily and with joy. Christian freedom is to be able to do the right thing quickly, easily and with joy. This is freedom and we call that virtue. That's the definition of a virtue. So if you want to compare it in the realm of sports, freedom is not being able to, if you're on the basketball court, not to just throw the ball however you want, walk around the court however you want, carry the ball however you want. True freedom is to be able to abide by the rules of the game and to be an excellent basketball player, able to put up points, do the assists, get the rebounds. But just showing up on the court and doing however you want or showing up at a piano and then just starting hammering on the keys. Some people might call that freedom I call that chaos, okay? True freedom is to be able to know the rules of music and to be able to play with quickly, easily, and with joy. That is freedom. So, obedience gives us freedom because there are certain rules of the game in life as well. The Ten Commandments are the most basic listing of those rules. If we're not following the Ten Commandments, we are not really free we're breaking the rules of the game and we can't become a great player of an instrument or in the sport. Also, um, if Satan is really, 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 really legalistic, okay? And so he knows if you're doing something that is permissible or not. I, as a priest, I do not have permission let's see, there are multiple things I don't have permission to do, but I, I don't have permission to confirm someone. So if I try, attempted to do that by myself, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have that power, and it wouldn't take effect. The evil one would know that. I also don't have permission to do a full-blown exorcism. That's a power and authority that has to come from the bishop or from his delegate. So if I were to attempt to do that, and there are situations where the evil one or a possessed person—I haven't experienced this, thanks be to God—myself actually laugh at the person because he knows they don't have any authority. You have no power here, right? Um, that is what he—that that, that is what he says to us. That being said, the more we operate within. The realm of obedience, rightful obedience in our life, the more we abide in God's camp and the more the evil one can't manipulate us. This is why everyone, why the evil one wants to plant division between parents and children. He wants to plant division between husband and spouse, because you have a certain amount of authority over each other. He wants to plant division between the bishop and basically everybody else, right? Between the pastor and basically everybody else. Which is why gossip and breaking down and critiquing your pastor and your bishop can be so insidious. There might even be legitimate, and I'm sure there is legitimate critique of all the different people in your life. But by gossiping, breaking down that person you're cutting yourself off from them and their rightful authority over you. And the evil one is like, yes, please. Yep, keep driving that wedge in deeper. Then I can pick you off all the more easily, right? Me as a priest, I cut my legs out from under me if I distance myself from my bishop. If I start talking badly about him, if I start doing things I know I don't have permission to do, if I do basically anything that compromises my relationship with my bishop, I'm committing spiritual suicide and I'm leaving the door wide open for stuff to come in. Okay, I know there are plenty of disagreements between bishops and the various faithful in different places. One of the marks of a saint that you'll notice from tried and true from the past, if the bishop or legitimate authority asks them to do something that is not immoral and not against their conscience, they do it. This is a mark of sanctity. If the bishop or the superior asks something that's maybe not reasonable or not logical, but it is not immoral, and the person and they and they listen to what is asked of them, that is a sign that they are they are in God's will and there's a legitimacy to their holiness of life. If they claim to have you know, If they have this relationship with the Lord and they're known for the public holiness and they are outspoken in their critique of their own bishop, look out. Look out. Because it is never the Lord's will that there be this out, outward division between the, the priest and his bishops. Again, this is presupposing that the bishop is asking something that is not immoral and not against conscience, right? So there can be some real exceptions, but generally speaking, the saints are those who will do even illogical things, things that they don't agree with because that person has legitimate authority over them. So I'm using the priest and bishop thing because it's closer to home for me. For you, let's make it even closer to home. If your spouse is asking you to do something that is not immoral, and not against your conscience, and loading the dishwasher, I'm sure, is not against your conscience. It's time to do that, right? The more you live in healthy obedience one to the other, St. Paul says, be mutually submissive to each other, right? Husband and wives, as Jesus submitted himself for his bride, the church. The more we live in right authority, following the laws, following the speed limit. Ooh, ouch. Following, okay, I'm sure with our political leaders, we have much that we disagree with them about, right? Um, But if if there is a law that's passed that is not immoral, not against our conscience, we should follow that law again this is not popular as you can imagine but you can see why the evil one has so much territory on us because he has driven this wedge between us and the people that have the care of us and in order to break it down so he his whole his whole the na- the name of his game is to isolate and to divide so that he can pick us off one by one but if we are solidly under the leadership of our of our spouse, of our pastor, of our bishop, of all the way up the uh, line of authority, the better off we're going to be, and the more secure we are. Uh, That's enough on that. Another one that I share often is singing and expressing God's praise often. People talk about, you know, Father, I'm so distracted by this, or I had this really terrible thought, or this really terrible, ter- terrible temptation towards this. What do you recommend that I do? And I say, and it's totally contrary to reason. I, I say I want you to give thanks and praise to God out loud in those moments. If the evil one sees that his temptation toward whatever is actually leading, because he can't read your thoughts leading to greater praise and thanksgiving being given to God, he can't stand it. So he's going to have to change his tactics, if that makes sense. And especially when you don't feel like it, right? To give thanks and praise puts us in right relationship with God. How do we know this? Because our whole eternal life in heaven will be spent thanking and praising God the more we already start doing now what we're going to do then, the more we are living closer to our eternal destiny. It just makes sense, right? Praise and thanksgiving being given to God. Every morning I start, as I'm going, you know, brushing my teeth and doing all the things, I listen to at least a couple praise and worship songs. I know not everyone's a praise and worship person. Put on some Gregorian chant or whatever. I don't always feel like sunshine and rainbows when I'm getting ready in the morning, right? (laughs) So it's really important that someone is giving thanks and praise to God. And hopefully by the end of the time that I'm getting ready, I can sing a couple words along with the person. Because that just sets their trajectory for the whole rest of the day. So praise and thanksgiving. The other super, super important thing. Uh, I was just having an interview with someone about healing ministry, and they, um, the person asked me, okay, you have someone that's a, just a total mess, and they don't know which way is up, and they don't even know where to begin the healing process. What do you recommend? And it was basically number seven. Don't keep your struggles to yourself. The evil one wants to isolate and to divide. For people of good will, Many of you are, have a, a certain charism of service. You love to serve other people, but you find it difficult to receive love and service yourself. Am I right? Every single mom in here, yep, right? I'm happy to serve, but I don't want to be served. I don't want to be a burden to other people, right? Ooh, man, if I had a dollar for every time, that lie comes up. I don't want to be a burden, or I am a burden. It is a lie of the evil one. So I do, I do the same thing every single time. I'm, I, I don't have many tricks. I just use the same ones over and over again. I say, if your son or daughter was experiencing what you are experiencing, would you want them to share it with you? Of course. I want to help them any way that I can. Do you see them as a burden? Of course not. Why do you think they would see you as a burden then? You are not a burden. The evil one wants to reinforce that lie so you will not reach out for help. Or he'll say, no, they won't understand. They're gonna judge you. They're gonna be hard on you. You're gonna get punished. Whatever it is, he's just feeding that fire. And maybe we will have to take certain responsibility for some things that we have done of our own accord. So we do have to take responsibility, but that's that's a move towards freedom. And that's, again, why going to confession is so important, because we're taking responsibility for what we did. We're saying we're sorry, and we're already doing the penance in reparation for what we've done. Don't keep it to yourself. Reach out to a trusted friend, especially one that you know is a person of prayer. Reach out to um, your priests are probably super, super busy, but... You know, he wants to hear from you, too. You can do it within the context of confession. Um, As I said um, a few different times, if there's an area of your life that you said, I will never tell anyone that this happened or that I have this or that this is a problem for me. That's a big red flag that says Satan has power over me right here. So bringing it into the context of confession, not necessarily because it's sinful on your part, but just bringing it into the light of his mercy and his love will be so efficacious for you. Bring it into the light. Bring it into the light. Share it with someone else. The most amazing thing happens. They don't have to say a single word. You can walk away and you will already be in a better place, right? You just need to exteriorize it. You need to be heard. And they can just simply say, gosh, I'm so Sorry and that's sufficient and we can move on right just saying it out loud it loses its power because the evil one can manipulate it as long as it is in the darkness and then the last one as you've already made me heard me make reference to is to renounce your key lies and the list of lies can go on and on and on and so i would encourage you to start paying attention in that time of 15 to 30 minutes every single day in silence what are the lies That came up when this difficult thing happened. I I was in a bad mood afterwards. What has been communicated to me? Oh, I think, I just, I believe the lie that I am alone and I'm being left out and no one understands me. Okay, if that's the key lie, then we're just going to renounce it in Jesus' name. Jesus, I renounce the lie that I'm alone and forgotten, excluded and not understood. Jesus, I embrace the truth that I, you are with me always, I am never alone, and you love me as I am. Whatever it is, we renounce it in Jesus' name and we formulate the truth that we know to be true in Jesus' name. Again, the lies dictate our thoughts, which dictate our actions, which dictate our character, which, as Sebastian reminded us, leads us to our eternal destiny. Renounce our key lies. So I just blasted you with a bunch of stuff, right? And you're going to be like, oh my gosh, how am I going to even do half of these things? And actually, I don't even want you to do half of them. I want you to find the one that you were most convicted by, especially as we're heading into Lent. It's like, okay, where's one thing I can do without? So I'm going to really double down on gossiping, and speaking ill of other people because I see it's wrecking my relationships and it's also putting me out of rightful authority. It's putting a wedge between me and my boss and whoever, right? What am I going to do on the positive side? In order to receive more of God's love, I'm going to really double down on that 15 to 30 minutes of silence or I'm going to really double down on my gratitude or on having more singing and praise built into my schedule. Lent is not about doing hard things. Lent is about receiving more of God's love. Lent is about being able to rejoice more in his love. Lent is about removing obstacles to God's love and embracing things that are going to put us more in touch with God's love. That's what Lent is. It's not about Gosh, this hurts so bad. This was a great lens. All right, missed the point completely. Right? Missed the point completely. <laughs> uh, a couple other obstacles that, of course, I thought of after I printed uh, this sheet. Um, social media and news needs to be out of your life. Period. No caveats. It needs to be out of your life. Okay. When it comes to news, you will find out about the things that you probably don't want to know about because other people are going to tell you, right? You don't have to go seeking it out, especially if it's disturbing your peace and making you angry. Social media and news, just get it out of your life. It it will be hard for maybe a couple of months. I was on Facebook for a good chunk of my life, and Facebook's so good and social media is so good at making you invest because you put a lot of yourself in there, my pictures are in there all these memories are in there how am I going to see my grandkids pictures it's like well, have your children send them to you, right (laughs) directly, like in relationship with you, right if you have to be an outsider looking in on your own relatives then we need to cultivate our relationship with that relative a little bit better, right we shouldn't rely on social media to do that for us Social media and news, get it out, all right? Um, Forgiveness, super, super important. Any areas of unforgiveness toward other people is an area that the evil one can continue to manipulate. If there's anger, bitterness, resentment that naturally come up on a regular basis or we're just angry in general, let's look underneath there to see if there's some unforgiveness lingering. Thanks be to God, forgiveness isn't about a feeling and it's not about forgetting what someone has done. It's not saying that they didn't do something that was wrong. It is choosing to release them and ourselves from that slavery, from that poison by saying out loud, Jesus, I forgive blank for blank. As often as the bitterness, anger, resentment come up, then we renew it. Jesus, I forgive whoever it is for whatever they did. And then you seal that forgiveness by saying, Jesus, bless them. It is so incredibly simplistic and elementary, and you think, Father, you have no idea. This has gone on for decades. I promise you it's just the same, whether it's been decades or ten days. By just saying those words out loud, we have ripped the contract we have made with Satan by just releasing them to Jesus' forgiveness. And we forgive because Jesus has first forgiven us. And if Jesus starts keeping tabs on what we've done to him, then we're all in trouble, okay? So he has released us, giving us the power and the freedom to release those in our lives. Forgiveness is so, so key. And the last one that I think I might land on, this is a counterintuitive one, and it might not apply to everyone here, but it definitely applies to me, so I'm going to share it, is to slow down slow down one of the so this talk was actually supposed to be discernment of spirits and I haven't really talked much about it but one of the ways that we can know that this is not the voice of the Lord is that there's a there's an urgency and a harshness to what is being asked of us and it makes us like more confused and unsettled than it does like make us excited there can be an urgency. Go help that person. They're on the side of the road. Do something about that. It's like, okay, love is impelling me forward. I, I'm a little bit afraid, but I'm kind of excited, right? That's very different to, you need to leave this relationship right now. Now, 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 it's terrible. Get out now. And you haven't talked about it with anyone. You haven't really bounced it off anyone. One, this is a true confessions of a spiritual director and a, and, a, and a priest here. It makes me a little bit sad. <laughs> and a little bit bewildered when someone comes back to me in spiritual direction and they say, hey, Father, I just made this huge life decision and I'm already I'm already mo- moving towards that. And I'm like, wow, that would have been really great to talk about. Did you talk about it with anybody before? No, it, it, I was just really convicted, so I did it. I'm like, wow, okay. I hope it works out <laughs> because it wasn't well discerned, right? So... If it is God's will, and it's a really important thing, there will be consistency there. And there will maybe be a sense of urgency, but it will not be, you must do this now, you must do this now, 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 now. That is the voice of the enemy that's trying to unsettle us, confuse us, and help wanting us to make rash decisions that we will regret later. Very simple example, Um, I'm prone to... Um, the Amazon shopping cart as much as anyone else, right? (laughs) I don't think I have a shopping problem, but there are times I'm like, I need to get this now. It's like, do I really? Nope. (laughs) Simple little life hack here. I put it in my cart and then I close my browser. I don't actually purchase it. And then I'll go back to it in a week or two. It's like, oh, yeah, I don't actually need that. So I just take it out of my cart again, right? (laughs) Amazing. Just that simple disposition of, I'm just going to give this more time. Generally speaking, generally speaking, you will not make a mistake by waiting a little bit longer. Archbishop Nauman, he has many really great qualities. And I think one of them that I've learned from him is he doesn't make a decision quickly. And that can drive people crazy because we want this done and that done and the other thing done. But the mind of the church reflected by Him just moves slowly. And if it's supposed to be, it will continue to be reinforced, and then we can make that decision. Again, there are times when you do need to make decisions, and other people are depending on it, and so it's less than ideal, but we do the best we can. We bring it to prayer, we talk about it with someone that we can trust. Um, We do all of the things, and we ask Jesus about it. But generally speaking, we will not go wrong by going more slowly. And it's amazing, even if we are in the midst of our working careers or whatever, how much power we have over our own schedule. It's like, we actually said yes to this meeting time. We said yes to doing this thing at this time. Are we leaving a little bit of buffer room? So one thing that I'm trying to do as a priest is to leave at least 15, if not 30 minutes between my meetings, so if one goes long, It's okay, I don't have to get agitated by the end of the the previous meeting before the next one. I do it to myself. Many of the things on my calendar are things that I agreed to are times that I proposed. So just saying yes to fewer things, saying yes to the few things that really bring us life when when we have that opportunity, and just leaving room, um, not leaving five minutes before something starts when we know it takes exactly five minutes to get to that destination, right? Man, how many of us would be so much better in traffic if it was a five-minute drive and we left 15 minutes early? Wow, that would just save us so much. That would be a great Lenten resolution too. I'm going to leave an extra five to ten minutes early for my destinations. I gave up, I gave up uh, wearing my watch in seminary whatever it was, five or six years ago for Lent, and I gave up haste for Lent. And it's one of the best resolutions that I continue to try to live still to this day. I still don't wear a watch, and so I just have to give myself naturally more buffer time because I can't time it to the second every single thing that I do. Anywho, so I have talked about a lot of stuff. You've heard a lot of stuff. But I just want to pray for all of you. Um, I'll do a general deliverance prayer and a general healing prayer. And then I'll open it up for um, questions that might be good for the whole (laughs) to hear. If you have personal questions, I can hang around for a little bit before confessions. Um, But let me pray for you now and think about if there's a question that you think would be good for everyone else to hear as well. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Good and gracious Father, we thank you, we praise you. You are faithful, you are good, you are our Savior. You have come to liberate us from the forces of evil. You have declared war by becoming a small child, dying on the cross, rising from the dead, descending into hell, liberating the captives ascending into heaven sending your Holy Spirit to bring more power more of your love into this world I ask you Jesus in your name to liberate from these beloved sons and daughters of yours any diabolical spirit that is oppressing them or their family in any way I bind you spirits of anxiety depression despair discouragement addiction lust pride anger anger "'Greed, gluttony, envy, sloth, and all companion spirits, "'in the name of Jesus Christ, be gone, "'and go to the foot of Jesus Christ. "'Go to the foot of Jesus' cross and never return. "'In the name of Jesus Christ, never return. "'Satan, I come against your lines, your hooks, and your tentacles. "'You are crushed and banished by the immaculate heart of Mary. "'She crushes your head with her heel.' Be gone, Satan, from these beloved sons and daughters. You have no power here. Be lifted off all heaviness, all oppression, off the shoulders, off the mind, off the head, off the chest. Be gone in Jesus' name. Be washed clean from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet in His precious blood and receive from on high a new power of faith, hope, and love that casts out all fear and all discouragement. Receive the gift of humility, meekness, kindness, gentleness, patience. Receive the glorious freedom of the children of God. In Jesus' name, I speak health and peace to you, bodies. Shoulders, arms, spine, organs, legs, ankles, feet, brain. Be restored in the name of Jesus Christ. I speak peace and health and restoration to you. All pain, all discomfort in any bone, ligament, muscle, tendon, organ, or system, be gone in Jesus' name. Be cleansed and healed in his most powerful name from top to bottom. Receive peace. Receive healing in Jesus' most holy name. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.